0: Nowhere near as good as Pastor Mark, but good morning, Grace! Good morning, morning, family. I'm Ray McAllister, and I will be sharing God's word with you this morning. Thank you, church, for this privilege to share God's word. I will be reading from Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. And as you uh, seek your Bible, if you're using the Pew Bible, you would go to page 855, 855 in the Pew Bible. If I may just add lib one quick second. Church, you look wonderful. You look absolutely fabulous this morning. Thank you for being here. God's word follows. <clears throat> the birth of Jesus foretold. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May the Lord add a blessing to the readers, the hearers, and the doers of his holy word. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. Before we get started, let
1: me acknowledge that these flowers... Here, replaced today by Byron Harris and his wife, Jeanette, for their fifth wedding anniversary. So, congratulations to Byron and Jeanette. It's a beautiful time of the year. We are in this season of Advent. Advent means coming, it's, it's Latin, it means coming or arrival. And historically, in church history, it's, it's the season, it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day where we celebrate and anticipate the arrival, the coming, the advent of Jesus. Obviously, it's looking back at His first coming, first advent, and it's also meant to stir our hearts for the anticipation and celebration of His second advent, His second coming. We started last week in a brand new series in the Gospel of Luke. One of the four gospels in the New Testament. Good news for everyone. Luke tells us in verse 3 that he set out to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus, and it's based on eyewitnesses. He lived. During the time of Jesus, he talks to those who were with Jesus. He likely talked to Mary uh, about this very passage, this very encounter she had with, with Gabriel. Luke is a medical doctor. He was very exact, very precise. Details mattered. And we find in this gospel account, this account of the life of Jesus, that he, Jesus did come to bring and announce good news to everyone especially, and we'll see this in in Luke's gospel, especially those who seem the least likely to to deserve it and least likely to expect it. Today's message, nothing is impossible with God. You heard that line directly from the mouth of Gabriel. Let me ask you, before we get started, have you ever been in a situation that seemed impossible? Maybe it was something heavy. Maybe it was like a, a relational conflict that where, where such hurtful things were said that, that you couldn't fathom. How, how do we move forward? How can we be reconciled? How can we move, get over this? Or maybe you found yourself in a financial struggle, a hole where, where you feel like you're so deep in it, you can't get out. Or maybe you're a student here and you, and you went through a class or, or a test and, and it was so hard that you thought, I, I have no, I, there's no way I'm going to pass this test no way i'm going to pass this class anyone ever been in a situation that seemed impossible good then you know what mary's feeling to some degree i want to share an experience i had last year it's not quite as heavy as all the things i just mentioned but i was in a situation my son and i that literally seemed impossible my family goes, try to go, tries to go to Florida to visit my uh, extended family every year. And on our way last year, on the way down there, we did a quick stop in Orlando to Disney. And, and we, we, you know, Disney is like, it costs an arm and a leg. So we just gave them an arm and we said, all right, we're going to go one day. We went to Hollywood Studios. Uh, we got, um, we were excited about it. We got up early. You know, you have to maximize the day. And so we got up early. Hollywood Studios got a couple rides in and then it rained right? Typical Orlando. But I mean, it rained, rained rain, like drenched, a torrential. We, we had to leave the park. It was so bad. We literally got three rides in. We go back to our uh, hotel. We're just sitting around. It rains all day, all into the evening. Finally, it clears up. It was a huge bummer for us. But the park closed at nine. And Elijah, my oldest, had been dying to ride this one ride. It's a, a Star Wars ride called the Rise of the Resistance. They do fast passes, of course, which we didn't get, and you can pay hundreds of dollars to ride it, or you can wait three plus hours in line. We didn't do either. Uh, After the rain cleared up, Elijah asked at night, can we still try and go to ride that ride, Dad? Park closed at nine, I looked at my watch, it's 8.35 p.m. (laughs) I told him, it's a long shot, but I was willing to try. I mean I already paid an arm. I almost gave up my firstborn for this. But let's go ahead, let's do this. He didn't know that. So we hop on the we hop on the skyliner, right? Kate the one to and then we gotta transfer to get to Hollywood. We get down to go to the next skyliner and they said this one's down, it's broken. It's not going, it's not going, you're not, you can't get there this way. And I'm asking the guy, I'm trying to tell him, well, look what happened. My son and I, it brained rained all day, what do we do? He said, all right, here's what you do. Take that Skylander to Epcot Studios, and then there's a boat that you can take from Epcot all the way up to Hollywood. And I didn't know what else to do. I said, okay, Elijah, let's go. We get on that Skyliner. We go to Epcot, which is away from Hollywood Studios. We land there. We run to the boat guy, trying to get in line. We explain him what we're about to do. And he looks at us and he goes, this boat ride is like 20 to 30 minutes. You're not going to get there in time. It's like 845 now at this point, 850. And I look at the guy and I say, what do we do? And he literally said, run. And I was like, what? He said, run, where? And he literally tells me, run around here, over this bridge, around these restaurants, through a pool, beyond a bike shop, and then straight up this hill, and that's Hollywood Studios, you better go now. (laughs) I could not believe what I was about to do. Still shocked, Elijah said, can we try, dad? (laughs) So we ran. We ran the 1.8 miles that it was and after mile 1 I was literally dying. I mean I, I don't actually I, you know my exercise struggles and my lungs are going to explode. We we're, I mean we got I'm, I'm walking Elijah's running ahead of me. He's already there. I'm like dying. We finally make it to the entrance of Hollywood Studios at 9:10. It was too late. I told Elijah in between breaths I would still try but it was basically impossible at this point to not get his hopes up. We walk up and even before the entrance of the actual park. There are police officers stationed there, and they immediately stop me and say, hey, the park's closed, bud. You can try again tomorrow. I explained the whole situation. I told him what it took to get there. He's like looking sympathetic at me and looking at the park going, it's closed, and I'm begging him. I know he's a police officer. I said, please have pity on me. And he's like, okay, I'll let you pass me, but you're still got to get into the park, and they're not going to let you in. Fine. Go ahead. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Run to the front of the park. Give them my passes. They're like, sir, the park is closed. They're not accepted anyone and I told her the whole story we ran and we ran and we ran we almost took the boat and I couldn't take the boat and she said she like looks at my son and like I give you know he's like the big eyes I'm like (laughs) ah finally she says look I will let you into the park but they are instructed at the very rides not to let anyone in they're closed and they let us in where is this ride in the very back of Hollywood Studios (laughs) Another almost mile. I couldn't believe it. I'm running again. We're running again. We get to the line. There's a rope around the end of the line. There's a guy there. I know what he's gonna say. I said, "I know you're close." He's like, "Yep, you're not letting. We're not letting you in. We're not letting you in." I, I'm, I'm actually at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in tears, right? I am like desperate. I explained the whole thing and I literally said, pal, please extend grace. Here's all it took to get here. And he's like, I can't let you in. I'll get in trouble. I got to call my boss. He calls in his boss on a walkie talkie. She comes down. I explained to her the whole story and she's telling me, sir, there is no way I can let you in. I, I don't know what I said at that point. I, I basically just said the whole story again. More sympathetically, right? More pathetically, I should say. I mean, in between, I'm literally like huffing and puffing, like hyperventilating, and she literally looks around as if there's other people watching and says, go out in, go ahead in, you're good. We run down, they're literally saying, all aboard the last ride! We scoot on in, I hug my son, we're like crying together, it's this beautiful moment. (laughs) to to ride a Star Wars ride called the Rise of the Resistance, which if you ever go, it's worth whatever insane money they ask you to pay extra to go on it. Look, it was impossible. At every step of that journey, it was impossible for us. And afterwards, I told Elijah, I hope this is a story you and I share the rest of our lives as a reminder of God's incredible grace on display in an unexpected way. What seemed impossible suddenly became possible. Now I get it. That situation is not as serious as what you and I might be going through on a daily life, what you're going through right now. But what would it take for you to believe that nothing is impossible with God? Let's look at this passage. Luke 1, beginning verse 26. Lesson number one today. It's possible to experience God's grace. Look what it says in verse 26. In the sixth month. That's referring back to the previous passage, what we preached on last week. It's been six months since the angel Gabriel visited a priest named Zechariah in the temple of Jerusalem. Gabriel told him that after decades of infertility, his wife Elizabeth would now conceive and give birth to a son in her old age. Now this occurred in the capital of Israel, right? The capital city, Jerusalem, the religious capital, the social capital, the cultural capital of the the Jewish people. And now Gabriel shows up again, but this time it says he shows up in a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. That's how we are first introduced to Mary, not even by her name, where she lives, her status in life, a small Galilean town way up north in the countryside called Nazareth. And then we find that her name is Mary. She's probably 14, 15, 16 years old. That was Mary at a marrying age at that point. She's already betrothed or engaged to Joseph. It was a year-long engagement or betrothal period where the, 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 Joseph would have been preparing the home at his family's house to welcome his new bride in about a year. And it says immediately, immediately he shows up and says to her, verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The word for favor is the word grace. He says literally, greetings, O graced one. Mary, God has shown you unmerited favor by graciously choosing you for a special task. And what is that task? You will conceive, you will carry, and you will give birth to the Son of God. It would make sense that Mary was greatly troubled by this, right? That's what it says. The very next words, verse 29, and she was greatly troubled at this saying. What in the world does all this mean? Why her? Zechariah makes sense to us, right? He's a priest. He's a man of God. He's a man of the cloth. He and Elizabeth are married, and they've been serving the Lord for decades. But Mary? Why her? She hasn't done anything great. She lives in Nazareth, and, and if you know the cultural... uh, you know the socioeconomic time period you would know that living in jerusalem is like living in new york city it's like living in dc that she lived in nazareth that's like living in podunkville i would name a state near us but that might offend some of you it'd be like living near there you're from where oh from there oh yeah i know what you guys are like it was an unpopular region jews looked down on nazareth it's where losers lived When Jesus began his ministry, a guy named Nathaniel caught wind of of this Jesus, and he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's how bad it was. Mary is an unlikely choice in so many ways. She's not from a wealthy, well-to-do family. She's from a backwater town. She's young, she's unwed, she's a peasant girl, we'll find out later. She lives in total obscurity. She is a nobody. Listen, she is the least likeliest person to be used in God's economy. She is literally the most powerless person in the world. And yet, and yet, this is the one whom God graces with the opportunity and chooses to be the mother of Jesus. Do you think it's an accident God would enter our world through her? You just, just by chance, it just happened to be her. No, this is God showing us in the clearest way his salvation would be completely by grace, not by achievement, not by status, not by your good works. God has a track record of choosing the unlikely and the lowly. God loves to show grace to people who least expect it and least deserve it. Have you ever felt like your life is too small or too insignificant for God to notice or care? Maybe you look at your past or your story and you go, I'm not the kind of person God uses. Zechariah, the priest, yep, that's the kind of guy. Me? No, not me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that conclusion is completely false. Read the Bible. Look at history. Consider this account of Jesus' own birth. God doesn't use the most successful or the greatest or the prettiest or the strongest or the smartest. Can he use those kind of people? Yes, absolutely. Amen. Thank God for that. But often what you see is that God chooses those who aren't any of those things in order to, to display just how amazing his grace is. If God can use Mary, a nobody, here's the point. He can use you. Nothing about where you are from. Nothing about your background. Nothing about your, home, your, your, your country of origin, your state of origin. Nothing about your status, your age. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing means nothing, okay? Nothing really means nothing. Nothing can hinder God's sovereign and gracious plan in your life. Maybe you feel overlooked. Maybe others are getting the accolades and promotions at work. Maybe the other moms are killing it at home, right? They got these perfect kids. They walk out in a straight line and they are all wearing bow ties in your, and you're like, where's your other shoe? I don't know. <laughs> well, whatever, here we are at church. Right? Others are enjoying marriage, children, good health. Your story just doesn't look like that. Neither does mine. God, Gabriel shows us he shows up to the most overlooked, insignificant person in the world. And in that, he's saying, you are the recipient of God's grace, Mary. Listen to me. It was God's grace bestowed to her that gave her life ultimate significance. That's what gave her life significance. That's what made her somebody. Yeah? It was God looking at her and acknowledging her. Listen, the same goes for us today. God wants to lavish you with grace. 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 It's not not something you deserve. It's not something you earn. You don't have to get a grade for it. You don't have to be an upstanding citizen to receive it. You simply have to be aware that you need it. And then grace comes in. You welcome it in. You welcome Jesus in. You welcome God's grace in. Look, grace doesn't take away your problems. I'm not offering you, I'm not peddling a message that says, receive God's grace and get all your dreams come true. This is not Disney World. This is real. Christianity is about real life. Grace doesn't mean all your problems go away. You know what grace means? Grace means this. Grace means God is always with you. Grace means this. You are precious to God. Grace means this. God loves you more than you can fathom. Grace means this. God is working all things together, good and bad, for your good. I don't know where you've been or what you're going through right now, but it is possible to experience the beauty, the wonder of God's grace. Do you believe that? Will you open your heart up to that? Whether you're not even a Christian yet, or whether you're a Christian who just needs God's grace to be be anew in your heart and life. Lesson number two. It's possible to believe the Incarnation. Gabriel reassures Mary in verse 30 that she has nothing to fear. Then he announces the greatest but most impossible news ever. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Not just any son. He says... You shall name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. This is the first indication that Luke provides that Jesus will be the Savior, the Messiah, that that Israel has been longing for and looking for. And that he will rescue us from our sin. And then Gabriel says he'll be great. And called the Son of the Most High. Literally, he'll be God's own son. And this is what sets Jesus apart from every other human on the planet. Not only that, Gabriel says, Jesus will sit on the throne of his forefather David, King David, a fulfillment of the promise made to David hundreds of years earlier that a a child from David's line, a son of David, would be the Messiah. He would be the king that Israel had been waiting for. He would be the one that would fulfill all the prophecies going back to Genesis 3. That And of his kingdom... There will be no end. Mary, this child that I am announcing you will have, that, you will, that will be conceived in you, is the king the world has been desperately waiting for and the king the world needs, and he will be the king of kings. This is incredible news. Now, if you're not a Christian, maybe you read the Bible, maybe you read a story like this and you go, that's why I can't believe the Bible. That's why I can't believe Christianity. Maybe you think us religious types, that we, we're, we are, we, we're fooled into believing anything. Like a virgin could have a baby. Right? If you can believe that, then man, I got, a, I got an island somewhere I want to sell you. I have friends who, who, who think Christians are taught that we are not to question anything. That we're taught not to use our reason, just believe. Here's what I would ask you. Is that what Mary does here? No. Gabriel shows up and says what he says, and then what does she say in verse 29? She was troubled, right? This is kind of overwhelming, serious. And it says, and she tries to discern. Notice that word? She tried to discern what sort of greeting that was. She's not trying to discern what kind of greeting is this. She's trying to discern what is he talking about. The word discern is an accounting term. It literally means to think things through, to analyze the situation. She's weighing things out carefully. Look, Mary doesn't turn off her brain just because an angel showed up. She doesn't believe and submit immediately. She's wondering what's going on here. Yes, she's responding in faith, but she has questions. And I know, sadly, in some religious circles, doubt is a very bad thing. It's often considered shameful. But on the opposite side, in very secular circles, do you know that doubt is actually not just encouraged? It's celebrated. Doubt is the, is the rule of law in secularism. You can't, and what does that lead to? When doubt is celebrated, it means you really can't know anything. And that's the point. If you can't know anything, then you become a god unto yourself and then just do whatever's right in your own eyes. Both are deeply flawed. the the, the sense that doubt is wrong never doubt or the sense that doubt is celebrated they're both deeply flawed mary asks an honest question how can this be help me understand give me more an honest question i say honest because she's looking for an answer you see a dishonest question doesn't really want an answer in fact a dishonest question doesn't believe there is an answer and if you all go away to college like I did at Maryland, you will get fed this. You will be inculcated with, with skepticism and, 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 and this sense of doubt that nothing can be fully known, ironically, except what they're telling you. Mary asked this question, an honest question. Zachariah was rebuked for his question. Remember that? Similar question. How can I know this to be true? It was a dishonest question. He didn't think there was an answer. It was rooted in unbelief. But Mary, she asked, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's asking an honest question rooted in humility. She wants to know more. She wants to gain understanding. Is that where you are today? This is so important. People today who reject the miracles will often say, I know those people back there. God bless their hearts. Right? They believed anything. Right? They believed in miracles. But we're much more intellectually advanced today as if somehow 2000 years later like our IQs are are higher look that's can i just can i just push back that's arrogance that's arrogant it's what cs lewis called um chronological snobbery we think we're more sophisticated because we are further along in history yes we have more advanced technology but look What you need to understand is that people in the first century would have had just as much trouble believing in miracles as we do today. A God-fearing Jew like Mary was trained from an early age to believe that God could never become a human jews didn't even speak the divine name of god yahweh they didn't even write it in their writings in their holy writings god was that holy no way god's gonna become a man like us mary had just as many barriers to belief as you and i do today maybe even more if you have questions i would encourage you go to god with your questions At Grace Baptist Church, we are not afraid of doubt. We're not afraid of questions. I'll say this and I'll keep saying it as long as I'm here. Anything worth believing is worth questioning. If you're open to a reasonable answer, if you're asking an honest question, in fact, it was only in response to Mary's honest question that Gabriel declares to her this great truth. We wouldn't even have it if Mary didn't ask this question how can this be? And then Gabriel explains it and then he says, listen Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Are you struggling with a God who, be, who could become a baby? Please understand that, that at the moment you admit the very existence of a God who's all powerful and who created all things, the moment you, you, you admit that, you, you assent to that, you already acknowledge that nothing is a, impossible for that kind of God a god who's all-powerful and created all things is a god powerful enough to lovingly enter his creation in a person in the person of jesus gabriel explains to mary the holy spirit will come upon you and overshadow you let me just say this there is no sensuality implied here at all the muslim world has been taught that that jesus was conceived by a sensuality between mary and god there is no sexuality implied here. The word overshadow is the same word to use when God's presence comes in the tabernacle. It fills the tabernacle. It overshadows the tabernacle. It's God's manifest presence. And, and Gabriel's saying to the degree that Mary can understand and fathom, God's manifest presence will come down and fill your womb so powerfully that, it, that the very presence of God will create a zygote. You're like, what? A single cell human being. When did this happen? Maybe as soon as she concluded the words, let it be to me according to your word. Boom! Baby Jesus. I say that because when she, by the time she goes to Elizabeth in the next passage, she's already pregnant. The baby leaps in the womb. Why? Because nothing is impossible for God. The virgin birth is essential to the Christian faith it's also admittedly a profound mystery. You can't be a Christian and deny the virgin birth. Why? Because the virgin birth gives rise to two things, two aspects of Jesus's life and ministry, his humanity and his deity. The virgin birth gives rise to the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. Jesus had to be born of a woman to be fully human. It says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that makes him, as verse 35 says, holy the Son of God. Meaning his conception by the Spirit, occurring apart from Joseph, also preserves his deity. So he's human. He's born, he, he grows in Mary, nine months in the womb. He comes out normally. He's a little baby, he's helpless. He needs to be nurtured and nourished to become a, a fully alive and, and, and large human being. But he's a human from the very beginning but he's also God in the flesh. He is not corrupted by the guilt of Adam because Adam, Adam's seed is not passed down through Joseph. Fallen humanity couldn't produce our own savior. We needed divine intervention, and that's why God sent Jesus into the world as the perfect son of God. He's born without sin to eventually become the substitute for our sin on the cross. And this is good news for everyone. By the way, if you can believe in the miracle of the virgin birth, let me just say this, then you know what that means? It means God is quite capable of of dealing with, of handling any single challenge or struggle that you're going through today. Is there anything in your life that seems impossible? This is where that, that question comes in. Is anything impossible with God? Can God heal that deep wound in your heart? Can God forgive that dark sin Can God provide for all of your needs? Can God sustain you in the face of a diagnosis? Can God help you in the raising of your children? Can God bring healing to that that relationship, that strain? Can God bring salvation to the one you've been praying for? Can God strengthen you as you care for your aging parents? Can God help you break free from that addiction? Can God bring hope to you after the loss of a loved one? And the answer to all of those has to be yes. Nothing is impossible with God because he is the God of the virgin birth. Nothing is impossible with God. Believe it. And then lesson number three, it is possible to live surrendered or a surrendered life. It is possible to live surrendered. Gabriel announces good news to Mary. The Savior has come. You're going to carry him and raise him. Wow. That's amazing, but there's a cost. There's a cost. There's not a cost to receive the good news. She receives it by grace, right? You don't have to do anything to receive it, Mary. Just believe it, accept it. That's what grace means. It's good news to believe, not good advice to follow. But still, there's a cost. After receiving this, Mary will have to surrender to God's will for her life. And that surrender is evident even in this very text. Who usually gets to name a child? The parents, right? We don't, we don't, we don't, say, we don't crowdsource that out and go, everyone tell me what name you think is best and I'm going to name that child. No, the parents name the child. You might get input, but eventually the parents say, this is so-and-so. It's the parents' right. As it's as important as it is now, but way, even more, way more important back then. The parents named this child, the name had significance. But look, not this child. Mary, you don't get to name your own child. He already has a name. God says, I will tell you the name. Why? Because it's my son. It's God's son. Here's his name, Mary. You're going to name him this. Jesus is the first person ever born who, on the day he was born, he was older than his parents from day one. What does that mean? It means they're not in charge of him. He's in charge of them. Sweet baby Jesus, ah, ah, he needs milk, ah, he he just went bad. Oh, you gotta clean him up. Yeah, ah, ah, that baby, that baby, right, who's so vulnerable, he's the king. He has all authority and all power has been granted to him. From day one, do you see what the angel is saying to Mary and to us? Look, if you're going to enjoy the blessings of God, and I pray you do, if you're going to enjoy his grace in your life, if you're going to come to Jesus as Savior, I need your forgiveness. I I want you in my life. I trust you. If, If you're going to do that, you're going to have to surrender control over every aspect of your life. That's what he calls you to. Now that happens over time. It's a slow work for the rest of your life. It's called progressive sanctification. But look, your relationships, your dreams, your finances, your body, you don't get to call the shots, he does. If you don't believe that, he's not your Lord. This baby is your master. Mary, you get to be the mother of Jesus. Your life of obscurity will now be catapulted in every way, so that everyone for the rest of time is gonna know your name. That's kinda of crazy. An unwed peasant girl who's 15 years old, now everyone in the world knows her. She lives in infamy. Think of how Mary would be treated in the days ahead, though. She was an unwed peasant girl who got pregnant before she was married, and she can claim all she wants. It's a miracle, I'm telling you, this is a miracle it's a miraculous birth, it's a miraculous pregnancy, this baby is going to save us from our sins, but look, she lives in a small town, in a very traditional society, everyone's going to see, I don't care what you say, girl, you're pregnant and you're not, you're married to that guy. They're going to make their own assumptions. Even Joseph needed convincing. All of this must have run through her mind, and yet in spite of such a daunting future, she utters this simple yet profound response, verse 38. Mary says two things here. How will this be, since I'm a virgin, honest question. She gets more information, she gets more insight, and then she concludes with this. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. That's faith. That's faith leading to obedience. That's surrender. There were trials she had no idea were coming. She thought it was bad now. The long journey to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant. The delivery of her firstborn child in an unideal way. The escape into Egypt when Herod was trying to kill Jesus. She had no idea things would get even harder. Multiple times during Jesus' life, enemies would bring up his illegitimate birth. Mary would be shunned. She would be misunderstood. She would be rejected. She herself would even struggle to submit to Jesus' purposes. Jesus had to at one point uh, sort of convict her and rebuke her. But worst of all, Mary would have to endure the horrifying agony of watching her own son, her boy, endure being wrongfully arrested, tried and tortured, and nailed to a bloody cross. She was right there, the gospel writers tell us, watching her son die right there. Can you imagine her anguish? Can you imagine all the questions? Why would it have to come to this, God? When I surrendered years ago to you, when I said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, I had no idea it would come to this. Do you see what God is showing her? Mary's surrender in Luke 1 is really just a picture of the ultimate surrender of Jesus. God the Son, who had all power and authority, not only humbled himself by becoming a baby, and had to be raised, but he humbled himself and endured the agony and shame of the cross. He lived a surrendered life, a fully surrendered life, and he took the final curse of our sin, which is death. He experienced death for us. He died in your place. He died for your sins to bring you home to God. The greatest impossibility. I said it's possible to experience grace. It's possible to live surrendered. Do you know it is possible for people to be forgiven and to be reconciled to a holy God? I don't care how hard your life is. Nothing is more impossible than you being forgiven and reconciled to a God who created you. It is the greatest impossibility. And Jesus comes down and goes to the cross and rises again to show us, I can do the impossible. I can bring you back to God. And when you understand that, when you understand the extent that Jesus humbled himself and surrendered himself for you, you will find that whatever he calls you to surrender pales in comparison to what he surrendered. Mary was committing to a lifetime of suffering and yet she willingly surrenders her life. Why? Because she wasn't just the mother of Jesus, she was also a disciple of Jesus. She was learning to trust God's word and submit to God's plan, even with there's. Oh, but what if this, what if that? Some of you are like, there's this part of my life, I'm willing to trust you, but I, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what ha- If this relationship ends, I don't know. If I, if I make this decision, I don't know. I don't, she didn't know either. The point isn't knowing. The point is walking by faith, not by sight. No matter the cost, she said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Can you say that today? What what could, oh, what God can do with a a person who is fully surrendered to him. Is there an area of your life that you're still holding back from God? I just want to remind you, following Jesus means total surrender. You don't get to negotiate with God. As one pastor said it, if you do a cost-based analysis, he's not your Lord. If you're writing down the pros and cons of obedience, he's not Lord in that moment. He's not Lord of that part of your life. But he can be. He he wants to be. He can show you how faithful he can be to have him reigning in your heart if you say, God, you can have all the aspects of my heart. We just sang a song. Is there room in your heart for God? You can say, God, look, my whole house, everything, kitchen, living room, dining room, yeah, coming up, bedroom, everything. Look, everything is yours. And Jesus is like, thank you. I want to make my home here. Now, what's in this closet right here? And he said, don't worry about that. That's a little closet. There's nothing in there. Don't worry about it. And Jesus, every day, he's going to go, yeah, but what about what's in here? I showed you everything else, Jesus. Why do you care what's in there? Because I know what's in there really matters. I know what's in there is what you're most ashamed about, what you most feel guilty about, what you most feel like you have to hide. And Jesus says, you don't hide anything from me. It all belongs to me. Let me show you my grace even for that. Jesus will walk in and he'll transform your heart. He'll give grace to heal that wound. He'll give grace to give you peace if you'll humbly accept it. If you're not a Christian, What is stopping you from turning from whatever you've been looking to right now, whatever you've been trusting in, whatever you've been trusting for security, for identity, maybe it's this job, maybe you feel like a somebody at your job, but that job can't save you. Maybe this relationship you had, maybe that feels like that's who you are. No, that that, that person can't save you. You need Jesus. You don't need a human. You don't need money. You don't need a job. You don't even need Christmas. You need Jesus. You can never be good enough to earn it. You have to humbly receive it by faith. Christian, God's grace gives us significance. Do you believe this morning that nothing is impossible with God? And if He has taken care of your greatest need in the coming of Jesus, what need do you have right now that He can't strengthen you, provide for you, and lead you through? Let's pray. Father, we know that that this story, this narrative of Jesus being conceived and carried by Mary, we, we've heard it so many times. Maybe it feels like background noise. For those who've believed for a while, it feels like the same old story. God, I pray it won't be that today. I pray that somehow you'd grab a hold of our hearts, somehow you would awaken us up from our slumber and show us this is reality. That this account today shapes every day of our lives. That it is by this account that we see everything else. Through the lens of this great truth that nothing is impossible with you. If some this morning are struggling to believe that it's possible, for them to experience your grace, for them to believe the incarnation, for them to surrender some aspect of their life. God, I pray right now that your spirit would move in a special way. May they be willing to open their hand up and say, God, I don't even know what it looks like, but I give this to you. May some today, right now, say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to his word. And let's watch to see how you work. Let's watch in the midst of the struggle and the suffering. I can't wait to see how you want to work in our midst to bring beauty out of ashes, to bring life from death, to bring healing from wounds. We love you. We need you. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.